This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. How old is too old for politicians? And are we wasting money in America on seniors overall? I'm Matt Robeson. This is Beyond Politics, available wherever you get your podcasts, and of course on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. I was just invited to a little bit of Turnabout is Fair Play. As longtime listeners know, we have a Balance of Power Roundtable show where we have perspectives from the left, right, and center, and our right perspective comes from Alicia Preston. She also fills in occasionally on the biggest radio show in New Hampshire, The Jack Heath Show, and it is conservative. It is not a center road show. It is not a liberal-leaning show. It is straight-up conservative. And so Alicia reached out to me and said, hey, I'm filling in. Would you like to be my guest today? And I said, of course, I don't mind wandering into the belly of the beast. So we got into a really fascinating conversation here about how old is too old for a politician? And of course, the larger question of, are we putting our resources into the right age brackets in America. And there's a lot more great stuff in here. So with that, here's Alicia. Matt Robeson's on the line now. He is a Democratic consultant, former staffer for congressmen, and a writer of Democratic Things, and an analyst and a podcaster, along with having a Blue Amp channel, a YouTube channel called Blue Amp, which once in a while you might see me appearing on getting beat up by he and his cohort, former Congressman Paul Hodes. Good morning, Matt. Alicia, I feel like you've invited me to a really nice party that's a little bit of a surprise, like not necessarily a good surprise for me, but I'm happy to turn the tables here. You can have at me. This is the segment of the show where your audience gets the satisfaction of watching a Democrat go down in flames. I consider it payback. Once a week, I sit with you and Paul, and you guys beat me up, and it's two against one, and now I'm like, I'm taking that on head on. The fact that you win most of those exchanges is it says something about me. It's kudos to you. And look, I know that our show generally hits more of a Democratic-leaning audience because Paul is a former Democratic member of Congress. I'm a former Democratic operative and staffer. You hold your own and then some. I would invite the Jack Heath Radio audience to check us out. I think you'll find things you like. And where do they find us? You can find us wherever you get your podcast. It's, the show's called Beyond Politics. We do the once-a-week roundtable with Alicia where she smacks us in the face for half an hour. And we're on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Excellent. I hope people tune in. Take it, check it out. All right. We got a lot going on in Congress in Washington today. But before we get into debt ceiling or other very exciting things, I want to talk about something you and I have talked about before, and I wrote a column out last week on Seacoast Online. God, the plugs just keep coming. We're just plugging all over the place. Anyway, when is it too old to run for president? I'm not sure what that line is, but I think, and I'm going to say it, and I know I'm going to upset some people, I think not only is Joe Biden too old to run for president, I think Donald Trump is too old to run for president. What do you think, Matt? I think that you are acting like a big government liberal, Alicia Preston, wants to have the government step in and tell you how old candidates can be. I'm going to take a real free market approach on this one, my friend. I'm going to say that the voters of the United States of America can choose anyone they want who is currently alive. And 
If it's a situation where that person is prone to bouts of short-term memory loss, as is the case with our beloved Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, or seems to be meandering a little bit in, in what they say and do, famed Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, if that's what the voters decide they want, then that is what they deserve to get. There is no age limit. Come back at me, my progressive friend. Yeah. Here's my thing. Number one, I'm not necessarily advocating for a law. And because I, first of all, I think it would have to be a constitutional amendment because the Constitution lays out the criteria for president. So you probably can't have a law that changes that criteria. But I think it should be a discussion. We have laws in states that 35 states in the District of Columbia say you can't be a judge after a certain age. Most of those states, most of those ages, including New Hampshire, the maximum is 70. And they do it for concerns of both mental and physical acuity. So I'm saying it should absolutely be a discussion and something we take into consideration. Now, let me ask you something. I have always been opposed to term limits for the reasons you laid out, that the people can choose who they want. The term limits are destined by the people. Do you oppose or support term limits? I oppose term limits for people in elected positions. I support term limits for people in lifetime positions. I'm looking at you, Clarence Thomas. Because the voters, the people who hold the power in this country, should have the opportunity to choose whom they want to represent them, regardless of age or, look, if the voters in their wisdom decide to return FDR four times to the presidency or, oh, heaven forbid, Donald John Trump to the presidency, then, you know, I'm a democracy absolutist in that sense. So what exactly do you want people to be involved in when it comes to Justice Clarence Thomas now? I want the people, through their elected representatives, to have a say in, you know what? It's not just one bite at the apple that happened 30 years ago in a very different America that said, that's it, you're in, it's over, you have this immense amount of power until the end of your natural life, or you decide to step down, I think there should be some limitation on that so that, again, the people, through their representatives in the U.S. Senate and through the president, get some say in who holds the power. A third of the power in this country is we have three branches of government. A third of the power is held by the Supreme Court, and the people should have more than one bite at the apple. For the same reason that you shouldn't get just one vote for president in your lifetime. That would be insane. So you think when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was alive and serving on the bench and there was a Republican in the White House and a Republican-controlled Senate? Term limiter. Term limiter. 18 years. Never have said that when she was still on the bench. I would, and I did. I would, and I did, and I will again. I want the tape. You would never. I'm looking at you. Stephen Breyer's gone now, but I'm looking at you, Elena Kagan. I'm looking at you. Amy, Amy Coney Barrett's pretty new. I'm looking at all of them. 18 years do it on a rotating basis. And that means that you also wouldn't have these crazy shenanigans that, look, even died in the wool conservatives like you have to admit that there was a little bit of inconsistency and hypocrisy in Mitch McConnell saying we shouldn't allow people to be nominated to the court right before an election. Then Amy Coney Barrett gets nominated to the court five minutes before an election and he's, I will vote to confirm her. But that's insane. No one likes the game. Amy Coney Barrett had every right to be appointed the position and confirmed. To your point, I did say at the time, Merrick Garland should have been given that opportunity. I was Exactly. Never, I agree. I think it's totally fine that Amy Coleman Bear, that's how the government is supposed to work. But yes, Merrick Garland, and I said it at the time, should have been given a vote. Now, 
I have a theory, though, since you brought up Clarence Thomas. Hit me. All right. Here's my theory. You ready for it? Everyone ready? All right. Here we go. Here's my conspiracy theory. He is a fully owned subsidiary of Harlan Crow Incorporated. No? Too soon? You ready for my conspiracy theory? All right. Here we go. The Democrats are beating the poop out of Clarence Thomas. They're coming after him every day. There's this organization that's looking into whether he pulled Sally's ponytail when he was in elementary school. You mean the organization, the U.S. Senate? Go on. No, it all is coming out of this third-party website, <laughs> and you know it. So, here's my theory. Why is there – he's been on the bench for a million years. Why all of a sudden in 2023 are they coming after Clarence Thomas so hard? I Ooh, can I give you an answer? Can I give you a good oh, answer? Go I have a good answer. I have a good answer. It turns out that we still have a few last vestiges of a functioning media in this country that isn't Fox News, Tucker Carlson, white supremacy land. And they're doing their jobs and finding out new information. And that is part of what's driving this. When you find out that Clarence Thomas, a justice on the Supreme Court, who is, by the way, a strict originalist, meaning he believes in looking at the rules and following them without any strain from a single comma. When you have him taking millions of dollars in gifts from a wealthy Wealthy billionaire is redundant there. From a billionaire and getting him together with that billionaire's lobbying arm, that is a problem. And I mean that not as a member of the Democratic Party. I mean that as an American. We need, we bad need the Supreme Court to be credible. Because goodness knows there's very little that's holding us back from armed open conflict in this country between the parties. And by the way, if that happens, you and I can totally, I will, I'll meet you in no man's land and we'll have tea. But like, I, we need the Supreme Court to be credible. All right. Well, let me get back to my respond to you in a moment, but I'm going to get back to my conspiracy theory first. Go. All right. You gave you a reason why you think that they're coming after Clarence Thomas. My reason is this. Joe Biden can't have. Vice President Kamala Harris as his running mate if he wants to win in 2024 because she is very unlikable and brings nothing to the table. And everyone thinks that Joe Biden is old and will he be able to serve in office for the full extent of the term? If not, who will be left with? And when the answer is Kamala Harris, he loses a whole lot of votes. But he can't just not have the vice president be the vice presidential running mate unless that spot is open because he has nominated her to the Supreme Court. So they need someone on the Supreme Court to provide a vacancy so that Joe Biden can put Kamala Harris in the Supreme Court and pick someone else more likable that the American public will be comfortable with as a vice presidential candidate. Boom. Done. Mic drop. That's what's happening. Alicia, I give that conspiracy theory seven donkeys out of ten. I think it's brilliant. I think it's fantastic. I sound like Donald Trump. It's the greatest. Is it huge? It's amazing. People won't even believe how great that conspiracy theory is. I honestly think it's fantastic. I don't think it's true, but it's so truthy that I, I want to do want to ratify your idea here that this is a little bit of a problem, and that would be an incredibly neat solution. Where your conspiracy theory falls short is that there is absolutely no level of shame that can be brought upon Clarence Thomas that will cause him to have to resign. There is nothing that any outside party can do that will compel that man to not sit on the Supreme Court until the end of his natural life. And therefore, it's just not going to work. The motivation can't truly be there. Like, it's even the fact of his mind. That's the motive. All right, I, we got to take a break. When we come back. Wait, can I do a radio tease? Can I do one? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. When we come back, 
Matt Robeson will tell you why the Republicans might actually be right in this whole debt ceiling standoff, and he'll ruin his future political career. Back after this. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back. And we're continuing our conversation with personal friend, political foe, Matt Robeson. Matt, welcome back. Before Thanks. I feel like you've invited me to Mordor to throw in a ring, and it's don't worry about the orcs. <laughs> They're friendly and fuzzy and cute. Don't believe we, Before we get into the debt ceiling and how Republicans are right and Democrats are wrong, which is a normal conversation, I want to play a little game called Whataboutism. Oh, go ahead. Hey, can I, can, as part of your whataboutism, as part of, can I just give you late-breaking news? Sure. We were, right before the break, we were talking about your question about why are Democrats going after Clarence Thomas, and I was tongue-in-cheek saying new facts have come to light. If you subscribe and listen to the Beyond Politics podcast, I'm going to record in one hour with one of those reporters who broke the story about Harlan Crow paying for Clarence Thomas's kind of adoptive kids' tuition payments who broke that story yesterday, that reporter is coming on the show with me. So check out Beyond Politics. We'll try and get that recording out ASAP this afternoon. I will actually listen. It is actually really a good pod, guys. Here's my little game of what about is, and this broke on Star Wars Day. For those who don't know, that was yesterday. May the 4th have been with you. Sonia Sotomayor, Supreme Court Justice, took $3.6 million from Penguin Random House while receiving these payments, she was presiding over two copyright infringement cases involving Penguin Random House. So Clarence Thomas is not accused of presiding over anything to benefit his benefactor. And yet, Sonia Sotomayor is, and that's okay, bro? That's, first of all, not true. It has actually come to light this morning that in addition to the payments we knew about going to Ginny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, through her consulting firm, Liberty Consulting. We've known about hundreds of thousands of dollars that went into that firm from people with matters before the court that Clarence Thomas was ruling on. We also found out that there were hidden payments that went through Kellyanne and Conway. It was one, it was, it's just like the Donald Trump thing with Stormy Daniels where it's make this payment but pretend it's for something else. That's literally what happened. Um, there was a payment that went from Leonard Leo, the Federalist Society head, to Kellyanne Conaway, in which he said, yeah, I'm going to make this payment to you, but pass it on to Ginny Thomas. But don't say. Don't make that public. So that doesn't look shady at all. So you played um, the game of what about is very well by shifting gears. And I, you say it's not true. I'm looking at a computer. It's on ABC News. It's all over. Well, I, I, what you just said is true. Sorry, sorry. What you just said about Sonia Sotomayor is true. What I meant is it's not true that the idea that Clarence Thomas has never ruled on something where he had a direct conflict of interest. There, there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, coming into his household from people who had matters before the court. That's all I'm saying. Sonia Sotomayor, I have to look more closely at that. I, on the face of it, it's true that if you've got a book deal and you're getting – advances or royalty payments from a company who has, maybe it's an unrelated matter. Maybe it's an unrelated matter. But if there's even a question about whether you should recuse, you should probably recuse in that case. And, and Sotomayor probably should have done that. For the record, during one of those cases, Stephen Breyer recused himself because he too had gotten money from the company for a book deal and she did not. Moving on. You gave a great tease before we took a break. 
Ooh, yes. It's a gut feeling. Take All right. All right. Now, first, let me reveal to your audience that I, have, I lied to them a little bit. I'm not totally going to ruin my political career because I was never going to have a political career. My wife would stone cold murder me in my sleep if I were to ever consider running for office, and then you would get an amazing true crime podcast out of it. But I am going to, I'm, I am going to make some people very irate, including in my own party. The core contention that Republicans have made as part of the debt ceiling standoff is we have to cut spending. And I'm going to go ahead and agree with them. Now, you and I are also on the same page that the way they're going about this is freaking stupid. You don't stop paying your bills because you don't want to rack up more bills in the future. You have to pay your bills first, people. So that the standoff is stupid. But their underlying point is true. And I'll tell you why. It's because over the next 30 years, Medicare faces a $71 trillion shortfall. Social Security faces a $31 trillion shortfall for people who are doing the math at home. That's $102 trillion. That is insane. That's over the next 30 years. Is this we where we get into where Matt hates old people? Yeah. This is where we get into my deep hatred. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really hate old people. I just want to make a point that this is an obnoxious situation we've gotten ourselves into in America. Americans over age 65, let's just call them seniors, they make up 17% of the population. About one in six Americans is over age 65. We spend about 40% of our entire federal budget on them. Meanwhile, at the same time, children under age 18 are the poorest age group in America. I said one in six Americans is over age 65. One in six children in America is under the poverty line. Do you know how poor you have to be in America to be under the poverty line? Now, we temporarily did something about this when we had the child tax credit for a year. We actually lifted three million of those children out of poverty. We cut the ch child poverty level in half. But the way we've gotten so out of balance that we're spending so much of our resources on seniors is it's just unconscionable. And the final thing I'll say, because I know I'm on a little bit of a rant here, is that it should be obnoxious to both liberals and conservatives. Because for liberals, it's obnoxious because it's regressive. There are 4 million retiree households that hold more than a million dollars in investable assets. By the way, all these numbers I'm getting for you comes from very conservative former Romney budget director, Brian Riedel, who I've interviewed many times because I believe in having conservative voices on my show. So this is coming from a right perspective. You know, see, there are many rich seniors in this country and many poor children. But this should be obnoxious to conservatives, too. Because conservatives believe, and I agree with this, that people should do for themselves what they can. The government should come in where it's absolutely necessary. If you don't need a big government safety net, bro, then you shouldn't have one. If we're going to have government help, it should be for young people to get them started so that they're economically prepared to be productive members of society for the rest of their lives. 
We only have two minutes left. Let me just respond. Number one, on senior health care, we have to provide it to them. Private insurance for seniors would be astronomical because they need more medical care than young people. And so there has to be a safety net from the government to make sure they can get the health care they need. We can't wipe out these programs because I personally do not want our senior citizens huddling in blankets without heat, eating cat food, and having no health care because they cost too much money. They've served their country in various ways throughout the years. We do have a huge population because of the baby boomers that have hit retirement, but we've got to do something. Now, that being said, this came from my mother, and I remember she was sick for a very long time and had a million doctor's appointments, and she was on Medicare. And we'd go to a doctor's appointment, and she was a retired school teacher. She was not a wealthy person at all. And I remember her saying to me once, and I brought this up with a few politicians at the time, and they said, you just can't mention that. She said, there should be a sliding scale copay. I can afford $5 a week. I don't have to pay anything. I should have to pay $5 a week. Someone else maybe can afford 20 Someone else 30 So I agree with there is a way for senior citizens that actually can afford to put a little more into their health care or other resources provided to them, that we should have that discussion, because why not? But we have to make sure that those that cannot afford $5 a week, $10 a week, whatever that number is, are covered unto themselves. Now, we got to go, which is too bad, because I want to tell Matt why he's wrong on a host of other things regarding the debt ceiling and whatnot, but I can't. Text uh, me. I will text you, and then we'll screenshot it, and we'll put it on social media. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. You have a great Cinco de Mayo, a great weekend, and wear a nice hat for the Kentucky Derby. Sounds great. I'll talk to you on the air next week. You got it.